It's the penultimate race of the 2021 season. It is here racing through the streets of Jeddah, Saudi Arabian Grand Prix coming up this weekend. The championship fight now down to eight points from Max Verstappen. He looks to hold back the hard-charging Lewis Hamilton, who has won the last two races. This is the Overtake F1 podcast. I'm Tony Deziri. Thanks for joining us. We will preview this weekend's Grand Prix in Saudi Arabia, give you the five things to watch out for. Plus, we'll take a look at the circuit in our Track Talk segment. We'll give you the top five and bottom five from Qatar, and we'll look at the incredible life of Sir Frank Williams, who passed away at the age of 79. Like Qatar, Formula One heading to a brand new circuit, and also like Qatar, the stakes remain pretty high. When the race is over, we're either going to get three things. We're going to get a close championship heading into Abu Dhabi. We're either going to get a nice lead for Max Verstappen heading into that final race, or Max will be crowned the 2021 world champion. Verstappen can win the title in a number of ways in Saudi Arabia. One, He can finish first with the fastest lap, with Hamilton finishing sixth or below. He can finish first without the fastest lap, and Hamilton finishing seventh or below. Third, he can finish second with the fastest lap. Hamilton would have to finish tenth or below. And fourth, he can finish second without the fastest lap, and Hamilton would have to finish outside of the top ten, not earning any points at all. But that's not all to look forward to in this weekend. The circuit is going to be fast, really fast. And we'll get more into that later in the podcast in our track talk segment. But this venue almost didn't get done. It almost didn't get completed in time. But here we are. We're days away from FP1. So we are going to see how this goes on a brand new circuit. So here are the five things to watch for this weekend at the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. And the number one is Red Bull's response. Can they get back to taking control of this thing? All right. It feels like a long time ago when Verstappen and Sergio Perez were both on the podium in Mexico City. A championship lead looked solid at that point. But now you've got these two epic drives by Hamilton and he has taken the lead down to just eight points and he's got momentum. Red Bull has played damage control at both Brazil and Qatar. Hamilton has shown some serious power in those two races. He won from lights out to the checkered flag at Qatar and then, of course, had that incredible run at Brazil. Can Red Bull show some fight this weekend and make this a real battle for the victory and possibly claiming the championship? Or will we get another war of words between Total Wolf and Christian Horner? And will we get to see these two guys start a race side by side? We've seen grid penalties, engine penalties, yellow flag penalties, preventing that over the last two races. So once again, will Red Bull respond in Saudi Arabia and take this championship fight to Mercedes? Because I don't like it when a championship team like Red Bull is talking about limiting the damage at particular tracks. All right, number two, and that's McLaren. Will they get their groove back? Because right now they trail Ferrari by 39 and a half points for P3 and the constructors. And it looks like that spot is over, but that doesn't mean McLaren can't finish strong. It's just that it's been a really tough few races. Since their 1-2 finish at Monza, the team has only two races in which they finished double digits in points. They earned just one in Mexico, had none in Brazil, and only two points at Qatar. Now, if you compare that to Ferrari, who has had double-digit points in their last eight races, and since the introduction of the new hybrid engine, the Scuderia has been very impressive. Both drivers routinely finishing in the top ten. Charles Leclerc finishing in the top five. All right, number three on the list of things to watch for this weekend is... 
yet another unknown venue. Like Qatar, this is brand new. It's never hosted a Formula One race ever at this track because it's brand spanking new. I mean, they just completed it, but it is super fast. Also like Qatar, the tech guys will be giving out all of their analysis on which team should be stronger based on how the corners will go and other elements on the circuit. They're already projecting that this will be a Mercedes track. And the usual questions rise up at these kind of moments. How much will qualifying dictate the race? Is overtaking going to be easy or hard? What will the what kind of data will the teams gather during practice? How will that change the setup? Night racing the, with practices during the day. What kind of tires are Pirelli going to bring? Will they be able to hold up in the corners? All of those questions are on the table, like we had at Qatar. But at least with Qatar, it was a circuit that even though it ran some MotoGP and some other races, there was some way you could get a feeling and, and sort of estimate how a Formula One car would go on that track. This is brand spanking new. No no one has ever raced on it because again, and I can't stress this enough. They just completed it. All right. The fourth thing to watch out for this weekend, Alpine versus AlphaTauri. Now, if you follow the constructors race, like I do, and I get it. Some of you don't, and I'll concede that. I know it's not that super exciting, but it's where the money is. Most of the focus this season has been on the two battles, Red Bull and Mercedes, obviously. And the other one, McLaren and Ferrari, which we kind of were pegging at the beginning of the season. But lately, the fight for P5 has gotten really, really interesting. Alpine and AlphaTauri entered Qatar tied. But with both Fernando Alonso, who finished third in the race, and Esteban Ocon, who ran in the top 10, Alpine now has a 25-point lead heading into this weekend. AlphaTauri has had really good races, but at the same time, they've had really disappointing weekends, Qatar being one of those. And number five on the things to watch out for, it's more of a personal thing for me, but I'm going to bring it to light anyway. We are down to the last two races of the 2021 season. And that means these are the final two races for Gary Botas at Mercedes, George Russell at Williams, Antonio Giovinazzi at Alfa Romeo, and of course, his teammate Kimi Raikkonen, who's retiring at the end of the season. These are the last few races to see these drivers in those particular cars. For Antonio Giovinazzi, he's going to be out of the sport. For Kimi Raikkonen, he's retiring from the sport. For George Russell, it's a chance to squeeze out maybe another points run in the final two races for Williams before he moves on to bigger and better things with Mercedes. And for Valtteri Bottas, one of two chances to either win or be on the pole with the silver arrows. Now, for many of you, maybe this doesn't really matter, right? Drivers come and go in the sport. Drivers change teams. Uh, but for me, I think for these four individuals, I, I just find personally, there's something attractive about their careers. For Russell, I have been waiting so long for George Russell to get a point with Williams Racing. It was so close at times. And then he finally broke through. For Valtteri Bottas, we have been dealing with that second seat question at Mercedes for a few years now. And now we've got it resolved that Russell is going to take that seat. And Bottas, who has had great races for Mercedes now has a chance to sort of close out his Mercedes career some good strong run before he goes on to Alfa Romeo Kimi Raikkonen isn't going to win a race with Alfa Romeo but can we get at least Kimi in the top 10 in any one of these two races and Antonio Giovinazzi who I just like I, I don't know what to say I was disappointed that they didn't retain him but I, I understand the game I, I just like Antonio Giovinazzi, and I'm going to be sad to see him out of Formula One. Good luck to him in Formula E, and maybe someday he'll be back in the in the top-end sport, but uh, I, I'm going to miss him. So I'm going to watch his last two races and kind of, kind of silently cheer for his success. 
So again, those are the top five things to watch out for this weekend. Red Bull's response, McLaren getting their groove back, another unknown venue on the calendar, Alpine versus AlphaTauri for P5 and the constructors, and the last few runs of some drivers with their particular teams for whatever reason. So those are the five things. All right, let's get to track talk. The Grand Prix is going to be a street circuit in Jeddah, and it is already being described as insane by Christian Horner. It's going to run 3.84 miles over six kilometers. The lap times are going to be the fastest on the calendar, and that length puts it the second longest on the season right behind Spa. This is going to run right along the shore of the Red Sea. There's going to be no real elevation changes, maybe a little minor, minor ones here, but nothing that's going to change like the momentum of the car or whatnot. It has a mind-blowing 24 corners. That is four more than Singapore. That is six more than Abu Dhabi. It has been described as a Monaco feel with a Monza speed. And I, I don't know who came up with that, but that seems to be apropos based on what I've been seeing on this track uh, the last couple of weeks in terms of videos and whatnot. And the question is going to be of overtaking. How difficult is it going to be? But don't get used to this circuit because Jeddah is going to host in 2022 next season. But in 2023, they're going to be running on a permanent course near the country's capital. Uh, Pirelli will be using the mid-range of tires, C2 for the hards, C3 for the mediums, C4 for the softs. This is the same set they used at Qatar since the track just got completed. And I can't stress that enough. Just got completed. There's no data to really process. And this will run 50 laps. The average speed is projected to average around 250 kilometers per hour. That is right behind Monza in terms of fast. It'll also be a night race, so there'll be a different temperature during the race than the drivers and the teams will have during FP1 and FP3. FP2 on uh, Friday will take place at dusk. As for those 27 corners, the one that's getting a lot of attention is turn 13. A left-hander with banking of about 12 degrees. That's going to put in some serious G-forces. There are three DRS zones on this track, including down the final stretch to the start-finish line like most circuits. The one I think that will have a huge impact is the second one. That is going to run from turn 25 to 26. It's kind of a slight sweeping left-hander that will lead into a sharp turn that will get you to the final stretch run of the circuit. It's going going to be tight racing walls surrounding the track that could create some problems in terms of overtaking going to give you a bit of that squeeze uh there are some runoff areas for the car to go off that's not going to result in any track limit warnings but already some of the video gamers out there who have been testing this out have said it's really going to be hard to overtake i don't know how much emphasis we're going to put on simulation but we'll see this is again the great unknown on the street circuit at jetta the, the, the thing about this though is it's kind of exciting but some people do not have their hopes up for a good, good race. I mean, they like the track in terms of its speed. They don't like it for its overtaking potential. So again, it's, it's a wide open crackerjack box of fun anyway this weekend. So that's our track talk segment as we talk about the streets of Jeddah for the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. All right, now let's move to top five and bottom five from Qatar. The bottom five, this is where we start first, and then we get to the top five later. We go from five to number one, and five on the list is Valtteri Bottas. It was a wild weekend for Valtteri. He qualified P3, but then suffered a yellow flag penalty, and that dropped him back three spaces. He moved up, but then struggled on the medium tires, suffered a puncture uh, off of the pit entry, and had to go around the track and eventually had to retire the car. So he did not contribute in any points gathering for Mercedes in terms of their run to the uh, Constructors' Championship over Red Bull, and it was just a just a bad weekend overall for Botas. 
number two, and that is Pierre Gasly. This, again, you want to talk about a wild race for Valtteri. How about a wild one for Pierre Gasly? Because with the penalties to both Botas and Max Verstappen, Pierre found himself P2 on the grid at the start of the race. Uh, however, he had some issues with the tires and he really didn't have the pace to recover after an early pit stop. So he finished P11 at his outside the points, set his team back in their constructors race with Alpine. Third on the list, and this is not really his fault, but he's on anyway, and that's Daniel Ricciardo. His car suffered fuel issues that cost him around two seconds per lap, and he finished 12th. You combine that with some of the struggles that McLaren has had lately, including Ricciardo, uh, it's just, just not a good weekend for him. But again, that's not his fault, given what his car had suffered. Andreas Seidel said afterwards they were going to have to figure that out. So I'm not really going to put the blame on him as a driver, but again, he's behind the wheel of the car, so he's third in our bottom five. Number two, Antonio Giovinazzi. And this is more because of the news before the Grand Prix that he is going to lose his ride for next season as Alfa Romeo is going to let him go. He will not be Valtteri Bottas' teammate for next season. And he finished P15. But like I said, in the things to watch out for, I'm hoping for some decent results for him in the next two races just so he can leave on some sort of bang. And number one, uh, this is Max Verstappen. And now you've heard me do top five, bottom five, if you've been listening to this podcast, where I'll put like Lewis Hamilton in despite a good result or Verstappen in despite a good result, because I think there's a lot of expectations that we have for these drivers and they don't quite meet them. This was difficult to do because... For Verstappen, I mean, when you think about it, he got kind of everything you want out of a race without winning the Grand Prix. I mean, he finished P2 and he got the fastest lap. But the reason I'm putting him here is because he did suffer a five-place grid penalty for a yellow frag infringement during qualifying. He started P7. Now, he had no problems moving up the field. I mean, he quickly dispatched all of those drivers that were ahead of him. But he couldn't challenge Lewis Hamilton. And once again, and this is a little disheartening, and again, I get it, Mercedes had more power at that particular circuit than Red Bull. But it, again, it was, well, well, we're limiting the damage. And that just makes it kind of deflating, if you will. I mean, they're playing more damage control than they are actually competing with Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes. But his penalty that he suffered during qualifying, that again, we didn't get an opportunity to see a Hamilton-Verstappen front of the grid. It feels like a long time ago that Verstappen was in control of this championship, as I mentioned earlier, when he was on top of the podium in Mexico City. I hope we get to see at one point in these final two races of the year, Hamilton and Verstappen starting 1-2 on the Grand Prix going head-to-head in the first corner. I hope we get that. I think this championship warrants it one more time, right? Because we see what can happen when they actually do that, when they actually go racing head to head against each other. Something always seems to occur, whether we're going to review videotape later or Max goes into a wall or they end up with Max on top of Lewis's Hamilton's car, like at Monza. It feels like every time these cars go head to head, something's going to happen. And wouldn't it be fun to actually see something happen as we head into the Grand Prix that's not, you know, damaging to the drivers or anything like that. So again, his penalty prevented us from seeing a one-two start for him and Hamilton. And I just gave him the spot because I, I don't like the damage control. But don't get me wrong, a P2 in the fastest lap, I mean, it's the best you're going to do without winning a Grand Prix. So it's a little iffy in terms of the bottom five. All right, let's get to the top five. Number one, 
All right, let's get to the top five. We go to five to number one. Number five on the list, that's Ferrari. I put the double drivers into this category because the Scuderia, they're flying right now. Since their introduction of the hybrid engine, they've had great results for Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc. Both drivers were in the top eight for the fifth race in a row. They've widened the lead so much over McLaren for P3 and the constructors. It's going to take some kind of engine failure or incident that has them lose ground with two races remaining. Sainz finished seventh at Qatar, Leclerc finished eighth, and for Leclerc, it was his first finish outside of the top five in the last five races. All right, number four, and that's Esteban Ocon. Fifth place finish for Ocon. He took advantage of a good setup for Qatar. He had a hard time holding back Perez, but Perez was on fresher tires. If you remember Fernando Alonso saying, have him defend like a lion, and he really didn't defend much like a lion. But nevertheless, Ocon after the race, with a great result, said the day felt like a win for him and the team. And it was. They got a 25-point haul and extended their lead over Alpine for P5 and the Constructors. Esteban Ocon, four in our top five. Number three, Lance Stroll. Now, you may not have noticed, but Lance Stroll finished sixth at Qatar. That's a great run for Aston Martin. He had put the team in double points with Sebastian Vettel finishing 10th. Stroll getting his first points finish for the first time in the last three races. Way to go, Lance. Uh, number two on top five, and that's Lewis Hamilton. And there's not much to say about this. It was a wire to wire, lights out to checkered flag victory for Hamilton. He had no competition on his way to victory. He cut into Verstappen's lead. He takes all the momentum into Saudi Arabia. And with the buzz being that it's going to be yet another Mercedes circuit, he has got to be feeling good about his championship chances over the final two races. And the number one, of course, is Fernando Alonso. And how could we have put Alonso anywhere else in our top five? We couldn't. He's our number one driver of the day because he got a podium finish. He benefited from the two penalties to give that were given to Botas and Verstappen. He started Qatar P3. He loved the circuit, loved it. And he made the most of it. it a virtual safety car came out late. That did help him avoid a hard-charging Sergio Perez. But I think he would have defended Perez just fine. He made the one-stop strategy work, excellent tire management, and was on the podium for the first time since Hungary of 2014. We couldn't go anywhere else with the number one driver, and that is Fernando Alonso. All right, as we close out this podcast, I want to give a tribute to the late Frank Williams. Uh, you can look at every sport and find people that were game changers, influential people that took the sport to the next level, whether the sport liked it or not. You know, I think of guys like Al Davis in the NFL, David Stern, the late commissioner of the NBA, men who, with the ebb and flow of their sport, tried to make it their own way and tried to make it better. And some men, like Al Davis, did things their own way, and some created some serious controversies and enemies along the way. But others leave a legacy that you just can't help think right man at the right time. And with that, it's time to look back briefly on the career of Frank Williams. Now, I say briefly because you can go everywhere and find real tributes to the man, guys who'd raced for him, guys who worked for him, guys who knew him. What I say on this podcast, someone who did not know Frank Williams is minuscule compared to what the people who knew him covered him and taught will talk about him and will really genuinely miss him have to say. And you can find that all the tributes everywhere from again, drivers, media members, 
everybody that had any involvement in Formula One. He was a figure in the sport with the term iconic and legendary. They just don't seem to do it justice. He founded one of the most successful teams in the sport's history, and he competed against some of the giant manufacturers in motorsports, and he won. Williams Racing won nine Constructors Championships, seven driver's titles during a time span between 1980 and 1997. And as the sport was changing, he remained on the grid even when the team struggled with hard times. Uh, after a car accident in 1986, he was confined to a wheelchair, but he continued to run the operations. He won the Constructors title that season with both the driver's title and the Constructors crown coming again a year later in 1987. It was his relentless pursuit of racing greatness that really took him around the world, not only with Formula One in terms of Grand Prix, but he would visit any manufacturers, anything that would give him an edge. He would travel all over the globe to meet anybody and somebody that could help his team achieve new heights. He saw new drivers in action as he had an incredible eye for talent and also teaming up with Patrick Head and winning their first race at Silverstone in 1979. Williams Racing would win titles with Alain Prost, Damon Hill, Nigel Mansell, Kiki Rosberg, Nelson Piquet, and Jacques Villeneuve. His daughter Claire would then later take over the team, and then it was sold last season to Darlington Capital, but the sport really mourns the true icon in Sir Frank Williams. Rest in peace. All right, that's going to do it for the Overtake F1 podcast. We will be back next week with the review of the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. Get you all the info you need as we head to Abu Dhabi in the season finale. Subscribe to the channel if you've been liking what we're doing. We're really excited to close out the 2021 season. We'll have some episodes in the offseason to preview 2022. And, of course, we'll get right back to work next season as well. You can also find us on Facebook, the Overtake F1 Podcast. Like that page. You can participate in our conversations on the sport. And you can follow us on Twitter at F1 Overtake Pod. All right, thanks for joining us again back week with a review of the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. I'm Tony Desiri. This is the Overtake F1 Podcast.